0: so open your bibles if you would please to philippians chapter 4 once again and if you don't have a bible with you we have bibles in the seat rack in front of you, you can grab one of those page numbers on the screen behind me uh, we're continuing our series actually we're wrapping up our series on learning contentment in a discontented world and if you're brand new with us uh there hopefully you got the new here brochure on the way in screen and on the inside there's a sermon application guide now, in any other given week, you can pick one of these up in uh, off the kiosk on the on the way in. But there's uh, an outline there to help you if you want to take notes. There's reflection questions uh, as well, so I encourage you to to do that. Um, use that if 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 it's something that would be helpful for you. Uh, so uh, we're going to pray as we always do. We're in our second movement of our worship service, where we're going to listen as the Spirit speaks. So we ask the Spirit. To, to speak into our hearts, to speak into our minds, and uh, bring change and transformation into our lives through His Word. And so, what I'm, the prayer I'm about to pray is based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We also use this time oftentimes to intercede in prayer for various needs, uh, and uh, some of our partners in ministry are really going through a lot, a lot of tension in the Middle East uh, where they're working, things have really a lot of unrest. Haiti, a lot of unrest. Cuba, just a crisis throughout the whole country uh, without oil and various other necessities. So um, that creates some some difficulties for the people that we work with that are there full-time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is truth and power. As we look to the scriptures, remind us that we're not just looking to letters on a page, not to a human message, but to your words given to us. Soften our hearts to receive and to understand your word. Fill us with your truth that we might, it might sustain us, transform us, equip us, so that we might live lives for your kingdom and for your glory. Lead us, give us confidence in your promises and in the fullness of a life with you. Father, we do pray for our partners in ministry in the Middle East and in Haiti, where there's so much unrest, so many, so many pressures. Um, we think of Cuba, where there is such a need, financial, um, more than financial, just basic necessities of life. and So, Father, we pray that these challenges will open doors of opportunity, but we also pray that you will keep them from being discouraged. And... We pray that you will provide for their needs. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the Scripture reading begins in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 10. Apostle Paul is in prison. He has received a financial gift from the Philippian church. And uh, so he writes this letter to encourage them, but also to say thank you. And this is his thank you part of his letter. It begins in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. So on a series on contentment, as we're coming into the uh, holiday season and Christmas season and and gift-giving and all of that, um, I thought I would give you some advice on gift-giving for this Christmas. So this is an article from a few years ago from a website called Geek Dad and one of their blog posts. Uh, The writer said, you know, we review a lot of gadgets and technology and uh, nobody can afford it all, certainly can't afford everything that they would like uh, to get for themselves, for their families. And so he says, realize you have limited budgets and so I'm going to help you, he says, to narrow down your wish list. I'm going to tell you five toys that every kid should not do without, every kid should have these toys. And it's his list of five best toys of all time and they fit any budget and kind of a wide range of younger children. And so here are the five toys. The first toy, a stick. (laughs) It says it comes in all makes and models and sizes. There's actually a link in the blog post for a user manual for how to play with a stick. Uh, should come with a warning. Uh, understand that it can be used uh, as a weapon. It can turn into a make-believe gun. If you don't want your kids playing with make-believe guns, don't give them a stick or anything else because they're going to turn it into a make-believe gun. <laughs> All right. Secondly, um, a box. Isn't this true? Uh, any kid under two, you give them a present, the present's over here, they're playing with a box. Which makes us all wonder. We all say this, but nobody. I asked last night. I said I was going to ask in every service. Is anybody? I'm not saying like the whole family had to give them boxes, but if any of you as parents just given one of your young ones a box, that's it, or boxes for a birthday or Christmas. I, I raise your hand if you're brave enough to do that. That that's all. Whoa, we got one right here. All right, cheapskate. Um, <laughs> no. You're, you're the only smart one in this room. That's, that's, that's the truth. Smarter than me. Uh, so very versatile toy. Can be turned into all kinds of things. Uh, not always easy to get. Little ones, yes, but if you really want a big one, which can be a lot of fun. I remember years ago going to a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. Can't remember where it was. Um, probably sworn to secrecy. You know, you can't tell. To get a big refrigerator box. Turns out Big box stores don't sell boxes without something in it, which I don't understand. Why is it called a big box store? But uh, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with that. Okay, number three is string. Uh, this one you don't even have to go out and buy. You will find it <laughs> around the house. There's going to be string somewhere. Uh, rope, kind of the you know thicker version of string. Uh, as the guy says in the article, he says, "Watch out because older siblings like to use rope to tie younger siblings down to." you know, chairs and things like that, which is not good unless you have a project you need done and the young one keeps getting in the way, so <laughs> ignore the screams, uh, just let it go. Uh, number four is it, I think? Cardboard tubes. Yeah, and uh, so spyglass. This guy says he's taped them together to create binoculars for his kids. And, um, and of course, a safer sword than a stick. Right? It's hard to hurt each other um, with, with that, with a uh, with cardboard tube. And then finally, but last but not least, dirt! <laughs> that one you don't want to bring into the house. <laughs> so this is a hard one at Christmas time in Minnesota. Uh, but yeah, dirt, uh, and interestingly, the guy brings this out in an article, but I have read a uh, corroborating article on gardening that dirt actually boosts your Im- immune system. So this would be a wonderful gift uh, for your young ones for, for Christmas. So we think that contentment is hard to come by. It's not when they're little. It really isn't. It's almost like we train them not to, to be content. So... We're, uh, we are finishing up our series on contentment, and uh, I want to do a little bit of review that might bring back some of the thoughts that you had during this series, maybe some of the decisions that you made that maybe you are following through on, maybe some that you really need to follow through on. Uh, so, before we go into today, we'll, we'll do a quick review. So, we spent two weeks looking at the theological foundations for contentment and there were several things that we said one of them was that we are made in the image and glory and for the glory of god and so one of the things one of the one of the character traits of god that we can have because we can't have all of his character, character traits one of the one of the ones that he wants in us is for us to reflect his contentment he is a content god and he wants us to reflect his contentment uh, second theological Uh, reason behind contentment is that contentment expresses gratitude for God's grace and rescue. So, when we have a sense of entitlement, when we have a sense that God owes us something, what what that is, it's an affront on God's grace. Uh, Because the whole story of God's grace is we don't deserve anything. And God, by His grace, is not just met our needs, but he has done it in the most loving, most incredible way, a self-sacrifice of himself. So, in a sense, when we go around either with a lack of gratitude or with a sense of entitlement, what we're we're doing is we're not recognizing the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. Another uh, theological underpinning is that commitment contentment is an essential expression of faith in God. Faith is central to our faith to to our to Christianity to following Jesus and when we show contentment what we're saying is god i trust you god i um i believe in your power and i know that your plan is good whatever my circumstances right now are and then finally we talked about contentment being a byproduct Of intimacy, closeness, relationship, a living relationship with Jesus. The closer we walk with Jesus, the deeper our sense of satisfaction in Him and in what is eternal and the things that He cares about. And so we experience contentment more and more. So last week we started talking about how to learn contentment. Pastor John uh, gave that message and he gave us three ways that we can learn contentment. One is it starts with awareness and gratitude and so it's an awareness of um, of what god has done kind of the stuff that we talked about for those other two weeks but then bringing it into something that we practice that we practice gratitude we practice thanksgiving in our lives we practice thanksgiving toward god which we have a great opportunity this week with with our with thanksgiving second we're equipped for contentment through spiritual disciplines like prayer uh, scripture reading scripture meditation And so if you didn't get to hear last week's sermon, I want to really encourage you to go back and and watch it or listen to it online at our website or our podcast because uh, especially this section was was incredible, um, talking about how disciplines change us over time. It's the way that God uses to bring changes in us. We interact, we cooperate with God's power and God's spirit with spiritual disciplines. And then finally, he said, "We need to see through the shiny wrappers, and so everything comes wrapped up. You know, there's nothing uh, for those of you who are, uh, you know, like Apple products. Um, there's nothing like opening the box, just the box itself, the heaviness of it, all that sort of thing. You know, same thing at Christmas time. You know, beautifully wrapped present won't come from me. I cannot wrap, but you know, a beautifully wrapped present. There's all this shiny stuff, and there's the shiny stuff in the in the ads about this stuff. We need to see through the shiny." Rappers. It seems to promise life. It seems to promise happiness, satisfaction. It's short-lived. It can't give what it, what only God can give us, and and so we need to see through the shiny wrappers. Okay, so we're to uh, three more ways to learn contentment today, and the three that I have are going to sound a little weird at first, but I think each time I'll be able to explain it a little bit and tie it to the scripture. So. The first way is to just say yes, to just say yes. So if you're old enough, or maybe you've studied in history classes, there was a big just say no campaign against drugs that was associated with Nancy Reagan, the president's wife, back in the 1980s. Some of you remember that very well. So the, the whole idea is that drugs are so destructive to our lives that we just need to learn to say no, just say no. Now the reality is no one sets out to become a drug addict, uh, to ruin their lives with drugs. They start to try to fulfill a, a, a desire to try to elevate their life in some way. That's usually how it starts. They want to, for life to be better or to cover some pain or anything like that. But the re- reality is that illicit drugs or any other experience can't do what God has promised to do. And so Eric Raymond, writes this in his book, Chasing Contentment. He says, the heart of the matter is that when we ourselves determine what will satisfy, we don't pursue what brings true satisfaction. In other words, we get caught in this thing and we don't pursue God. The broken compass within us always leads us to the dumpster rather than the five-star restaurant. That's one to take, you know, and think about a little bit. The reality is that we are so broken that even our desires are so broken and so off-center and so skewed and so infected that the reality is that our desires will take us to the dumpster instead of the five-star restaurant that God is promising for us. So uh, the problem in our lives, it isn't that we seek satisfaction. The The problem is that the way that we try to seek our satisfaction. That's the promise. And this is where just say no comes in. There is a just say no to it. Uh, Jesus had a just say no campaign of sorts. And uh, his phrase that he would use, and he used it often, was deny yourself. Now, deny yourself, there's probably no more to Two words put together that could be more countercultural than the idea of denying ourselves. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 9, just one of the places where he talks about it. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He said that over and over again. But I'm recommending just say yes. That better than just say no, although there is a just say no, it's better to think, just say yes. And there's a reason for it. I mean, if you look at this verse, for example, uh, this teaching of Jesus, there's more yes than there is no. Uh, so there's a kind of a yes-no, which is take up your cross. Uh, it's, it's a no in the sense that cross is take up your means of dying, um, but it's a yes in the sense that it's a, it's a positive action. But interestingly, what I want you to see are the yeses. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my disciple, be my disciple. The the word my there is a word of friendship and intimacy and traveling together. It's that kind of word. It's, It's like my wife, my child, my grandchild. It's it's, it's uh, be my disciple isn't about ownership. My disciple, it's about intimacy. It's about relationship. It's about doing life together. There's another yes in that verse. Can we go back? I should have had it up there. It comes right at the end. Follow me. There's a yes. So, be my disciple. Go be a disciple of Jesus. That's a yes. Follow me is a yes. So, at the start and end of something that says deny yourself and mentions cross are two yeses. Follow me means be my student. Um, Follow my example. Uh, Let me be your compass toward the five-star restaurant instead of the dumpster. Let's go together and learn from me. That's what it means to follow me. So the idea of just say yes goes back to... um, well, besides going back to this, the, the statement to say yes uh, goes back to Stephen Covey in his book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You may have remembered where he said, wrote these words. He said, you have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage to say no to other things. And the way to do this is by having a bigger yes burning inside. So Jesus gives this bigger yes um, that helps us to just say no. Uh, And without the bigger yes, we really can't do it. So if you go back to that verse again, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross daily, daily. This goes back to what Pastor John was talking about last week. This goes back to spiritual practices that we bring into our lives. If we don't pull away from from just kind of falling in with where the culture is going and where the thinking is going and the messages that are coming that are not, that many times are contrary to Christ, they're not necessarily even bad, but messages that say, this is what's most important, this is what you really need. If we don't pull back and spend time in God's Word where we learn about Jesus, where we learn about God, where we learn about His plan, where we learn about our lives, who we are, how we should live our lives. If we don't do that, if we don't have those disciplines in our lives personally in our own time, but also corporately together as, as, as the church, we won't say yes to God. We won't even think about the yeses. The messages will be coming uh, to say yes to other things, and the, the no's and the yes's will be all messed up. Just say yes. Now, the gospel itself, the whole gospel story, the story of God, underscores that we can't just say no. We can't. We can't say no enough. We're incapable of it to say no enough. Our no follows a bigger yes of entering into a transforming relationship with Jesus. It's not even, so. It's not even saying yes. It's what happens when we're in that relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is bringing transformation in our lives. Okay, secondly, so just say yes. It's one of the ways that we learn contentment. Secondly, go for all the glory. Let your life be such that in your life you are going for all the glory. Now, the Apostle Paul says something in this passage that can be easily missed, even though it's repeated over and over again. Um, But he uses phrases like this. He says, he's talking about contentment. He says, in whatever circumstances, whatever circumstances. He says, in need. And he says, in plenty. He says again, in every situation. And then he repeats it again. What does that mean, every situation? Living in plenty. Plenty. Or in want. It's easy to pass over this rather quickly, but the reality is that sometimes our discontent is in times of plenty. A lot of the times, maybe in some of our lives, most of the time, our discontent is in times of plenty. Why is it so hard to experience contentment in times of plenty? When you think about it, the Apostle Paul says in that last verse, he says, I can do all this, what? All this, what? Be content in plenty and in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Why is it so hard that we need the strength and transforming work of God uh, in times of plenty? Well, Eric Raymond, in, in his book, he recalls a conversation with a guy from his church who was just doing really well in his business. He had, I think, started a business, and it was succeeding beyond, you know, what they imagined. And he said, how are you doing right now personally? Your business is going, well, how's you doing, how are you doing personally? And his answer kind of surprised him. He said, well, I'm struggling with personal pride. I'm struggling with a restlessness for more. And I have a coldness in my heart towards God. That was the reality in the midst of his success. So, yeah, look at that. Personal pride. Kind of like, yep, I put this thing together. Restlessness for more. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want more, more, and more. Coldness toward the Lord. It's easy to happen, isn't it, in times of plenty? It happens because we find ourselves going for lesser glories. In other words, we get caught up in the glories of the success, whether it be sports success or grades success, or career success, working our way up, or money success, or the things that money brings, we get caught up in those things, and those are lesser glories. There's glories in them in the sense that they make us look good to our peers and to others and all that, but they are lesser glories. So, one of the things that we know about Paul is that he went for all the glory. He, he wanted the greater glory. Um, and he encourages us to do the same. So how do we go for the greater glory? One of the places where he says this most succinctly, although it's everywhere in the Apostle Paul, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, go to work, go to school, play with your friends, whatever it is, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let it be, let it be for God. And so in Philippians, Paul is in prison. And I want you to turn to chapter 1. Back to chapter 1, and I'm just going to read a section here, um, verses 12 through 18, and listen as he's there, the ways that he is saying, I am going for all the glory, the greater glory, not the lesser glories. So I want you to know, brothers and sisters, verse 12, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's where his focus is. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the people that are guarding him, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. They know why I'm here. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Somehow, his persecution is giving greater courage to the Christians in that city. It is true. That some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this... I rejoice. There's a connection, a clear connection between what he's saying here and what he's saying in chapter 4 where he says, you know, I'm in prison. This is a time of want, but I am content. I am satisfied inside. I am joyful inside. And it's because he's not focused on his own suffering. He's focused on how even his suffering is going to be leveraged by God for the cause of the gospel. we're caught up in pursuing God's glory, we don't get all caught up in pursuing lesser glories. We're pursuing God's glory. We don't get caught up in lesser glories. So let's say you're going on a road trip to a destination that you love. You're going to Disney World. Uh, You're going to Disneyland. You're going to the beach. You're going to the mountains. You're going someplace that you absolutely love. And on the way there, you have to stop along the way. You have to stop to eat. You stop at rest stops. and you take picnics and all that sort of thing. you got to stop to go to the restroom, all that sort of thing. You spend the least amount of time possible, right? When you have a destination that you're going to, you spend the least amount of time possible in the rest stops. You are not going to waste time At a rest stop, you might stop to eat there and take a little bit of time and enjoy yourself, that kind of thing. But you are not, you're going to spend the least amount of time possible. When we're in times of trouble and discontent, um, or of plenty and discontent, the problem is we're getting caught up in the rest stop. We're making it about the rest stop instead of making it about what God wants to make it about. The, the, the full glory of God. Here's the last of the ways that we learn contentment. The last one is practice grateful discontent, the last that we're looking at today. Practice grateful discontent. So from week one, we talked about the fact that contentment doesn't mean there isn't discontent. There are holy discontents in our lives that we should have. There's a holy discontent in God with the, with the condition of our lives, the condition of our world. So uh, back to the road trip analogy. So imagine that you are, you're on that road trip, same road trip, and you're going by a rest stop. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're in one of these places where you know, the, the exits are few and far between. And many of the exits, when you look, you can't see any sign of life. There's no gas stations, nothing like that. And so you go by a rest stop and you think, uh, uh, do I need to go to the restroom? And you, you turn back to the family. Does anybody need to go to the restroom? nope, 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 and you don't have to go to the restroom until you've passed that exit. Now you really need to go. And you're driving and you're thinking about, okay, hopefully there's a rest stop coming up pretty soon, but you're in the middle of nowhere, and you find out the next red stop, there's finally a sign, 90 miles away. And now you've got to try to figure it out. <laughs> How am I going to make it? And, um, and hope it's not just, uh, hope it's just me and not everyone else. Now, when you get to that rest stop and you go to the restroom, um, you are, you're very happy <laughs> for that restroom. A longtime pastor of Five Oaks, Tim Bubar, he would say it's that everything is good with the world feeling. That's, <laughs> that's how he described it. And uh, you're really happy. You're... Um, you're content, in a great way, in that restroom, but it's not Disney World, right? It's not Disney World, it's not the ocean, it's not where you're going. You're, you're really happy, you're grateful, right? You're grateful for that rest stop, but it's not your final destination. And that's what I mean by grateful discontent. Your vacation is not complete and your hopes for your vacation are not satisfied by the bathroom along the way but you're grateful. So, are Paul's hopes and ambitions satisfied, fulfilled in prison? Well, yes and no. If you go back to chapter 1 and read a little bit more in chapter 1, you discover, in fact, I think it comes right after that passage, that he is hopeful that he's going to get out of prison. And, um, you know, he's... Grateful for how the gospel is spreading. He's grateful for how he can suffer in Jesus' name. But I don't think he wants to be in prison. <laughs> and it's not certainly the final destination. And he could be doing so much more in many ways if he were outside of prison. But he says, in just a couple of verses later from what I just read, in verse 21, he says this For me, for to me, to live as Christ. And to die is gain. See, he's going for all the glory. He lives for Christ wherever he finds himself. So, no, his greatest dreams are not fulfilled. Even his glory dreams are not going to be fulfilled in prison any more than that vacation is going to be fulfilled in the bathroom. But grateful, grateful in the midst of it for how God is going to use him wherever he's at. He wants to be there. But this world... That prison, even getting out of prison, is not his home. It's not his final destination. It's not where he, what he's going. He's a dual citizen, and he speaks in those terms. And Jesus speaks of it in those terms when he says we, you know, we, we, are, um, we are part of the kingdom of God. We bring the kingdom. That's a citizenship type issue. The book of Hebrews uses, and it's going to be on one of your reflection questions, uses all kinds of terms like we belong to a better country, but we are also citizens of this country. Uh, we are looking forward to the city of God, but living in the city that we're in right now. There's a heavenly Jerusalem that we're looking for. There's this looking forward. So we live in attention. It creates attention. It means that we're called to be content, but not so content that we're satisfied with the lesser glories of now. With, there is a final destination that we're going to. So as dual citizens, we're invested That's that's what we do. We invest in God's kingdom now. And we invest in God's kingdom now by loving people, by serving God's mission here and around the world in our schools, in our workplaces, serving God's mission, and then by being generous with our time and being generous with our energy and our stuff and our money for God's purposes. That's what we do because we're citizens, dual citizens, and we're, we're looking forward to this. And it's in those investments... That we're able to be gratefully discontent we are investing in something that's out there that's into the future and the more we are content satisfied joyful in Christ the more we give of ourselves to God's kingdom the more we give of ourselves the less we're willing to the more we hoard of ourselves of our time and our money and all of that the more we live in anxiety about the future about sustaining whatever success we have or about possibly the failure going on, the the financial failure or whatever we're experiencing going on and on. We live in worry. We live in greed. When we have, we just want more and more and more. And these are all destructive forces in our lives. But Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me, be my disciple, walk with me. He took up his cross. He died for us. He is the source of our greatest hopes. He is the source of our greatest dreams. He is the dream. He himself is the dream. And he is the one that points to a better future, an eternal future with him. And he calls us to receive and follow, to receive his grace, to follow his example, not in our own power, but by his grace and by his power. We can say with Paul, I can do all this. I can be content, find joy in plenty and in want through him who gives me strength. Let's pray together.